Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say. So there will always be others that see it differently. And I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. The hardest thing was trying to learn how this works because it is a mind game. You have to be on your toes. Today's podcast is one I've sat on for a while as there's parts of it which don't really sit well with me. I initially contacted today's guest, Kathy because I read of her work as a volunteer with WAM, Women and Mentoring. However, the reason she became involved with WAM was difficult for me to take in. WAM is a wonderful organisation which assists vulnerable women charged with a criminal offence and it helps them navigate the justice system, reduce their reoffending, develop social connections and address underlying issues behind their offending. WAM is one of the few organisations where a person who's lived experience in the criminal justice system, which is basically a very soft and cuddly way of saying they've done jail time, (laughs) is highly regarded and a positive. Kathy's involvement with WAM comes from her incarceration, which was due to dishonesty. But there's reasons for everything we do and every choice we make. Some of those reasons are hard for others to understand or accept. Most of us at some time, I would bet, would have taken risks or maybe made a decision which could have gone horribly wrong and pear-shaped. Kathy made an initial decision to steal money from a friend's business, which continued over three years, stealing over $230,000 and resulted in Kathy spending a minimum nine months in jail. Kathy takes responsibility and ownership of what she's done, and she doesn't hide from the fact that she's hurt people. However, she believes that she's a nice person, and as she says, nice people make mistakes. Like the sentencing judge, 
I also can't and won't make excuses for what she did and the stress and grief to her friend and her friend's business. It's damaged other relationships as well. Kathy can't find paid work, which won't come as a surprise because trust is paramount and the basis of any role in any job. Kathy, I'm betting, will have to work very hard to gain any trust from anyone again. My burning question to her was, why? And in a nutshell, she states that it was to try and compensate for what she couldn't provide for her children as a single mum. And, and look, I've never been in that position, so I won't judge. But it's her incarceration and subsequent work with Wham that I'd love to talk more about with her. And her jail journal, which Kathy shared with me and gave me, it was such an interesting insight into life in prison. So with that introduction, Kathy. Hello, and thanks for your time. Hi, Morel. How are you? It's my absolute pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Oh, I'm glad you are too. So you've got, got your cup of coffee. You're all settled down. You're all good. I have. Yes, yes. Looking forward to this lovely chat. Ah, that's good. Um, how are you going with lockdown? Are you in Melbourne? You're in lockdown in Melbourne? No, I'm in country Victoria. So, um, yes, it, it, it is difficult. <laughs> um, yeah, in saying that, you know, we're, we're all in the same boat. Unfortunately, some people are worse off than others. Um, I'm not alone. Um, I have a housemate, so um, we can still share a glass of wine and a, a movie and a chat. So that's not too bad. But, yes, um, it, it is difficult and I really do feel sorry for all those people that are on their own and uh, particularly in uh, in Melbourne. It must be extremely difficult. Yes, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, so, Cathy, you pleaded guilty uh, to the theft from your friend. Yes. After the judge had heard the summary of your offending, he made no secret of the fact that he was going to send you to jail. He adjourned the case to give him some time to make a decision and you had to wait on that decision out in the community. So can you tell us what it was like living in limbo land with the knowledge that you were going to jail? The only question was for how long? What was that like? Oh, it, it was very lonely and it was like having a, a deep, dark cloud over me all the time. Um, and, you know, y- your mind isn't clear either. You've got so much going on and particularly, you know, I've never been through the justice system before. It, it that, that was a whole new world to me. Um, and so I had no idea where to start, where to turn to, who to turn to, Um what strategies or, or what I needed to help survive whatever time um, it would take before I would be incarcerated. Um, it's the what-ifs every day, very difficult. Yeah, I sort of can't imagine. Um, so when you were sentenced, tell me about the emotions that you experienced on that day when the judge said, you know, stand, don't they, I think they call you a prisoner, stand Stand up, prisoner, and oh my God, it must have been. <laughs> Tell me what that was like that day. <laughs> oh, look, um, it was it was horrific having to stand, you know, in the courtroom. Um, oh, look, it was just so scary because I had no idea what was ahead of me, you know. Um, and I was there, face on to the, the judge, and of course, in front of me was um, my solicitor and barrister, and then on the other side of the course, the, the prosecution who, you know, would have liked to have put me in there and turned the key and thrown it away, I think. Um, and behind me on my left side, behind me was my victim and all her family and supporters. And behind me on my right shoulder was all my family and friends and supporters to me, not obviously in support of what I did, but in support of me. So um, it, it was difficult because, you know, the judge, it was interesting, he really struggled with making the decision, Narell. He did say to me um, that, or he did say in the courtroom, that uh, he was very impressed with um, my references and how for the 18 months prior to standing in front of him that day, um, I had held a full-time job that um, required looking after corporate cards and, you know, petty cash and student fees and 
there was never an inkling that I would ever do anything. Um, my employer had written a, a wonderful reference um, and he was so impressed with that. And, you know, he said it sits really difficultly with him because he knows that he needed to send me to prison because that's what the law says and that's what the community and society is wanting. But he said there's also a part of him that (laughs) couldn't really justify it. He said, you know, um, he would have preferred me to have stayed on in the community, continued with my my career, um, been there for my dad who has dementia, be there for my family, my grandchildren, because he said, I am destroying not only your life by sending you away, but all of those around you. And it was interesting because he then took 48 hours before he made his decision. Um, And, yes, of course, in the end it was the, the... uh, what we call 18 on the top and nine on the bottom. So it was nine months imprisonment, then eligible for parole um, for nine months of parole. And, yeah, it was like, um, I don't know, I think I'd sort of expected, I, 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 I decided to myself probably 12 months earlier that, oh, look, I'm going to get a two-year sentence. And that was just stuck in my head, a two-year sentence. So when he said the nine and nine, it, <laughs> it was a relief, you know. I'm like, oh, my gosh, nine months, I can do that. You know, I can do that. Um, but, yeah, there's also a sense of absolute sadness with it all. Not sad for me necessarily. I knew I'd survive. I knew I'd be okay. It was a sadness for everyone else behind me in that courtroom on both sides. Yeah, it's hard to sort of, yeah, it's hard to get my head around. Um, So how did it feel to be walked out of of the courtroom? And I imagine you're in handcuffs. Well, actually, no. The whole time that, um, you know, this process had been going on for 18 months or so, um, no, I had never been put in handcuffs. Um, From the courtroom, I went to the custody cells at the local police station. Um, but while in the courtroom, just going back a second or two, um, two policemen came in from the side door and they just walked over to me and I stepped down and I just walked straight out with them. That was the time when I thought I would have been put in handcuffs, um, but I wasn't. Um, and we just walked straight out and they escorted me over to the police station. Um, you know, I had no time to look back and see the look on my daughter or my family's and friends' faces. You know, I, I was just gone. No hugs, no kisses, nothing. And as I said, I felt only sadness, not just for me, but um, for those I had hurt and, and I love. So um, we went over to the court at the police station and, um, yeah, we just went in and they just took what belongings I had because, of course, I had my handbag. Don't ask me why I took my handbag, but I did. I still had my zippy and, you know, my purse with all my credit cards. Just have it. And, <laughs> you know, my, my medication, yeah, like everything yeah. was still all in there, the hairbrush, and I really don't know why, but they took it all off me and, um uh, yeah, so they fingerprinted me again, just took all that stuff off me, and then um, I went into the, the custody um, cells and, uh, yeah, of course I was um, strip-searched by a couple of female officers, which is the first time ever in my life, um, and I didn't know what I was supposed to take off, what was I supposed to keep on, um, but, goodness, I'm so glad that I had new knickers on because <laughs> I would have been so ashamed <laughs> and, and pulled off the dacks and there was a big hole in the knickers or the lace was hanging down to the knees. I don't know. But, look, um, <laughs> you know, as it is sometimes when you're in a hurry of a morning, you just grab whatever you can. Um, but yes, I know I had, had nice new knickers on so <laughs> everything was tucked in nicely. Anyway, um, yeah, well, that soon made everything went off and I had the strip search and, And um, there were two female police officers, and I remember one being really nice, and but the other one, 
Uh, she didn't really say much. All she said to me at the end, she just sort of looked and, you know, I did the cough and the jump and the splits and everything else. And then she just looked at me and she said, well, nine months. Is that what you expected to get? And that was all she said to me. Um, and I just said I didn't really know what I was expected to get. Like I had no expectations. I did. I had the two years, but I wasn't going to tell her that because she might have gone back and said, look, she's really happy with mine. <laughs> Maybe you should have feel it. <laughs> but I'm not saying anything. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that, yeah, that was that. And then um, I just put my clothes back on again and then I was virtually – Slid across the floor was a rock-hard pillow, a very thin plastic mattress, um, a weighted blanket that I could hardly lift. It was huge and very heavy. Um, And that was it. That was it. I was in this great big cell all on my own, (laughs) cement floors, everything. Um, And, yeah, just just that. Um, Did you feel? The one thing I will have. Sorry, just going back. Um, I just wanted to talk when you've got all your clothes off um, Mm. and you said something about um, jumping and coughing and whatever. For those out there, uh, and I don't think many of us have ever been strip searched in a prison cell, in a police cell, can you tell us the process, like how that went? I mean, I know because unfortunately I've had to do strip searches myself, as in with prisoners, Um, but... There's a lot of people out there who wouldn't know. Mm. Can you tell us that? Yeah, well, uh, you, you strip off to nothing basically um, and you sort of do a, a star stand um, and then they ask you to lift up your breasts, which you do. Um, they also ask you to turn around and you have to spread the, the cheeks of your bottom um, while bending over. Um, and the, obviously the bottom's facing them, you turn back around and then they ask you to spread your legs and sort of pass squat and then you need to cough because obviously if you have anything um, internally, it, it, it will fall out. So they also check um, your hair and behind your ears. Um yeah, and if you've got any combs or anything in your hair, that's all taken off you. Um, and then they just go through your hair and behind your ears. And yeah, it's a fairly quick process, um, which is good. So you're not feeling humiliated for a long length of time. Um, I guess you see on TV where, you know, they have the prisoners in the cells like that and then they hose them down while they're naked and things like that. It's nothing like that. Um, and even though I was a little bit humiliated, I mean, you know, I've, I've had three children and stuff and you sort of get to the stage where your dignity really, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter as much, I guess. I just wanted it over and done with. And they were quite dignified. Um, I, I didn't feel um, ashamed or embarrassed by them being there. I just wanted it over and done with. Yeah, okay. And, and could you just take us through the emotions that you felt when that door was locked, you've done your strip search, you've put whatever they've given you or your clothes back on and that door closes and you've got your weighted blanket and your hard pillow. Um, Can you tell us that first night what was going through your head and how you felt? Mm. Um, Loneliness. I felt... um, the, the, the sadness was just there. The, the weight of the sadness was imme- immense. I can't even find another word for it. Um, but I do remember just laying there on my back with a weighted blanket, up, you know, to my neck, just looking at the walls and the dirty, filthy toilet in the corner. Um, and I, I do remember the tears. Um, my mother passed away in 2014 and... Um, I guess that night was probably one of the the many nights that were to come where I felt my closest to her. Um, Some people might find that very hard to relate to. Um, I'm not an overly religious person by any means, um, but I I felt her. I felt her presence and um, I, I talked to her a lot that night. 
um, you know, asking for strength that uh, the next nine months were going to be tough. I didn't know what was ahead of me. Um, and I just, just prayed to her and, and asked her to give me strength and um, to help me get through it all. I did worry about my family at home in a sense that how were they? Were they upset? Were they relieved that I only got the nine months? And, you know, I, I was concerned about them, I guess, but they had support. Um, mm. I was just lonely. <laughs> I was I was lonely. And, you know, it, it was, I'll never forget it, Narelle, it was a little bit like the weather we've been having at the moment. Like our top temperature, I think, that weekend was only about eight degrees Celsius. And it was yeah, freezing, freezing, yeah. freezing cold. Mm. Well, it was freezing cold. We had hail and we had gale force winds. And you're in this big, icy, cold prison cell and you could hear all that going on outside. Um, mm. It was terrible. And, and, in fact, the first morning I woke up, um, my cell, water had been coming in through my cell door um, and I didn't realise but. It had been flooded out throughout the night. So uh, the oh, poor God. rookie police yeah. officers at the local station at the job probably three times that day coming in and, and sweeping out the water out of my cell and and what have you. It was just horrific. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, there's going to be rats running around before I know it. Oh. But anyway, none of that. Um, but, look, the sheer loneliness, and I guess being so cold too, I just I started thinking, I just wish I was home by my warm fire, you know. Um, it's the little luxuries. And, and as my time went on in prison, it was the little luxuries that you got to learn to appreciate. Cathy, mm. was there, when, when you were being strip searched and when you're in there that night or the people are coming in, you know, the following morning to sweep out your, uh, the water, did you feel, I can imagine I'm putting myself there and thinking I would feel so embarrassed, like so humiliated. Um, did you uh, uh, have any of those emotions? I did because you've got to remember this is a, a small regional town in country Victoria. Um, I've lived here for uh, mm, 51 years. So... A lot of the people at the police station, um, I knew. Um, a lot oh, of them, my God. kids had gone to school with their kids, so I knew them. In fact, uh, one of the uh, custody officers, um, his wife had been a good friend of mine for years. Um, so, yeah, there was that embarrassment. But at the same time, people had in in the town had known for 18 months what I had done. So it wasn't like it was anything yeah. new at this time. Um, and I was really surprised at the amount of compassion that was given to me. Um, the, the whole time I was in there, I, as I said to you, it, it was dignified as much as it could be. Um, I was spoken to nicely. I had beautiful meals. The meals were amazing in the custody cells. Um, and nice hot showers, um, I, I was looked after and they would just pop their head in every now and again, oh, Cathy, we've got the kettle on out here, would you like a coffee? Um, so, no, seriously. Really? Yes. They, you know how you've got the little um, window that you open up, they'd open up the window yeah. into the cell and they'd say, Cathy, we just put the kettle on, would you like a cup? Oh, I'd love one. Thanks. And I was calling them by their first names because I knew most of them. Um, because I was there on the Friday, Saturday and Sunday night, I was there for three nights because there were no brawlers available on the Friday that I was sentenced to take me to Melbourne. So I had mm. to wait until the Monday. So, you know, I was there for three nights. I was like a permanent resident there at the local custody <laughs> cells. <laughs> and as I said, the meals were wonderful. They came from a cafe around the corner and, you know, fresh fruit and I, I was I was well looked after. And, in fact, on the Saturday night, um, the second night there, uh, one of the custody guys came in and he said, 
Um, he said, oh, instead of sitting on the, the cold metal seat there to watch the TV, he said, uh, why don't you drag your, um, uh, your mattress out here into the, the foyer? And he said, and you can just lay on the mattress and watch the, the footy from from the bed. Oh, great. So I dragged the mattress out and made up a little bed in the foyer and uh, laid there and watched the TV, the AFL up on the, the TV. So, look, they did look after me, I must admit. You know, that's amazing from my point of view because I remember, oh, God, when I was first a constable at uh, Carlton, I'd gone from St Kilda to Carlton mm-hmm. and uh, we had ourselves, obviously, at St Kilda and Carlton. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And... Oh, to be honest, Kathy, I'm ashamed at what we used to serve up to the prisoners. Really? And it was really, oh, when you're talking then about the food, um, like we would give them, I don't know, they might have a piece of toast and Vegemite or, oh, it was just, oh, it's just shameful. And I'm just, oh, not even basic, Kathy. It was just, and I just feel so much uh i feel so much easier that at least prisoners are treated with uh dignity you know i mean we everyone knows why everyone would know why you're in there it's not like you're a murderer or anything like that but i don't really think it would matter if you're a murderer or a rapist or you know you've you're in there for your dishonesty offenses you still need you should be treated with with dignity and we didn't it, it it was it it is a shameful time and i'm just so glad that you're treated so much better now but i also think it goes both ways narelle i think um you know i i've even though a lot of the police officers i knew or they were friends of my parents or whatever um you know there was still that level of respect i i've always respected the law um, mm. believe it or not, um, but yeah, respected those in 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 the police force and, and things like that. So I respected them and, um, you know, I adhered to everything and I think by doing that they give you a little bit of leniency as well. So it's a bit of give and take both ways, um, you know. So... Where were you sent to serve your time after your three days or whatever in complete luxury? Where were you then sent to serve your time? 
Okay, well, um, in Victoria we have only two female prisons. Um, the maximum security one, which is the biggest, which I think can have up to about 600 women, um, that's Dame Phyllis Frost in um, Deer Park, Ravenhall. So on the Monday morning um, they came in and I was transported you know, transported into a brawler, um, and that was an experience, I can tell you. I never even knew what one looked like. I, th- I think I sort of expected like a little white mini bus to rock up and, you know, it would be like a school camp. You'd sort of get on the bus with, um, the, you know, and off you'd go down the, the highway to Melbourne. No, it wasn't that at all. Um, there were also two men who the cells had accumulated over the weekend that were to be transported to the Remand Centre in CBD Melbourne um, mm. and I was to go to the uh, DPFC, the female prison. And, uh, gosh, the brawler was disgusting. <laughs> it had very cold metal seats that I was sure that would give me piles by the time I had survived the four-and-a-half-hour <laughs> trip. Gosh, and we've got to remember it's yeah. still eight degrees, howling wind and, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. The two men were in a compartment together and for the whole trip I heard their vile and disgusting conversation. So that wasn't too nice. Um, the compartments that, that they – it's a metal seat, but they have a seat belt that goes around your waist. But it's quite large, so it, it wasn't firm. So if they had have hit something, I would have, you know, hit the metal wall in front of me. But – Every time the brawler went around the corner or the roundabout, I immediately slid like from one side of the metal seat to the other. So four and a half hours of that, I I wasn't impressed. Um, But the walls in the brawler were covered in scratches and engravings of others who had travelled in there and um, who obviously felt right to leave their markings. So that was interesting reading, but I could never understand how they got anything in the brawler to do that with. That's what, um, that was my but, first question. How how would they yeah. how would they get that? I have no idea. And the amount of stuff in there was some of it was pens, but a lot of it was scratching. You know, into the oh yeah. So um, the ride to Melbourne, interesting. We were given just a small bottle of water, three hundred mils, nothing to eat. We had a speaker in our compartment that the two officers would talk to us through every half hour, just to make sure we were okay or to make sure that we were still alive, I think. Um, If we needed to go to the toilet, we would give it a paper bag to urinate or defecate in. So um, once I knew that, I refused to drink any water because I did not want to have to wee in a paper bag. Not impressed with that at all. Fairly disgusting, but that's the reality of it. Uh, yeah, the boys were dropped off at the remand centre first and then it was off to Dame Phyllis. Um, and, and, and that had a lot of emotions too because it was about 5.30 at this time, um, Friday, uh, Monday, sorry, Monday night, knock-off time for people in CBD. Um, and I remember looking at the tiny little window in my compartment and oh, my mind just wandered. It's like, I wonder where they worked. Hmm, I wonder who that one's going home to and hmm, wonder what they're having for tea. Gosh, wonder what I'm having for tea. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, you know, we're driving past all these people. Do they even know that this is a brawler? Hey, do you even know I'm in here? Hello. It was that sort of thing. Um, the world, and, and that was what made me realise then that the world goes on without mm. you. Mm. No one cares. Yeah. No one really cares. They still get on with their, their, their life. And here you are stuck in this brawler, not wondering, you know, wondering what, what in the heck are you going to have for tea? What in the heck, uh, you know, is your room going to be like? What's the next nine months going to be like? Nobody else cares. It's just you. So you go to jail, uh, you go to the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre. So, so what do you call that, the DP? DPFC we call it, yes. DPFC. So uh, you get you get there and uh, where do you spend your first night out there and who with? Yeah, well, the first night um, when I first got there, once again it was a typical thing, you strip searched again. Um, you're showered, given your prison clothes, your basket of belongings such as your bedding and towel and blah, 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 everything in blue um, and just all the basics. 
Um, and then you're taken to an area that's called Yarra. Now, you, you've got to try and picture this at BPFC if you've never been there. All the sections have different names and they are all for different levels of, um, of sentencing. So when you first arrive, you're like the newbies on the block. So you go to an area called Yarra and once again it is like private cells. So um, they're normally about 6 by 9 by 12, but they have everything in it, um, like you've got your toilet, your shower, a desk, tea and coffee making facilities, a bed, a little wardrobe. So all of that, oh, and a TV, of course, and everything's all squashed into this, this little room. So, you know, you get your room number. Mine was number 11. Um, and there's a communal lounge and, and, and kitchen. Um, the only thing you get to make on your own there is your breakfast, which is basically toast or cereal. All your other meals in that area are just brought to you at lunchtime and tea time at a pre-made kitchen. Okay. Um, but, yeah, the, the first night when I walked in there, um, there were, it was by then it was about 7 p.m., um, and the, a lot of the girls were just sitting around the couch watching TV and um, I walked in and they all stare at you and um, they go, do you smoke? <laughs> no, I said, I don't. And they said, oh, fuck. Because apparently <laughs> they um, they like to get the patches. Like, you're not allowed to smoke there anymore, so you have to buy patches out of your own money and the girls suss out who are smokers and who have patches and they're the ones that they do the bribing with or they actually will try and bash <laughs> to get the patches off. So, uh, yeah. no, I don't smoke. Keep your hands to yourself. So that was my first introduction. <laughs> Gosh. But, look, um, I spent a week in that area and then I was sent to, gosh, I was looked after, I have to admit, I was sent straight to the five-star at Dame Phyllis. It's a very new area right down the back um, of the compound and it's where six women live in a unit um, and you all get your own bedroom, much bigger than the six by nine by 12. Um, and then you also can do your own cooking, you do your own grocery shopping, with the limited money that they give you and and what have you. So I spent a week there and then they came to me and said, look, you've been two weeks here. We can't see the point of you being here. It's a maximum security. Um, would you be interested in going to Tarangawa Prison, which is the minimum security? And that's in Malden near Bendigo. It's a farm. And uh, I said, yes, please, can I have a ticket on that bus? So, uh, yeah, <laughs> two weeks exactly I was on another brawler heading up the Calder Highway. God. I know. It's just incomprehensible, like, for, for, for most of us and I suppose for you too because uh, until then you'd never had anything to do with the system. So what was the hardest thing that you found about, let's say, those first couple of weeks when you're in a maximum security? Uh, the hardest thing was trying to learn how this works. Because it is a, a mind game and you have to be on your toes. You have to try and figure out what the other women are wanting from you. You have to work out who might be your friend and who may not. And it really is a mind game. You've got to be ahead of yourself all the time. Like I remember my first walk around the compound, someone said to me um, in Yarra, you know, um, oh, come on, we'll go for a walk. And I said, oh, God, where do we go? And they said, oh, just come for me, with me. We'll go for a walk around the compound. I'll show you where everything is. So went for a walk and I was like, I think I stuck like glue to her because I thought, gosh, am I going to get bashed out here or what? And it was interesting because, you know, you, you get to see where the um, the protection unit is, you know, with the great mm. big walls and the, yeah. the people that are in protection go there. Um, you've got your psych units. 
Um, you've got so many other different units there for, for different reasons. And once you get into those areas, then you get to see the personalities really well of the people that live there. And that can be quite scary. Um, you know, I saw a little bit of violence, unfortunately. Um, I saw one poor woman, oh, yeah, she just um, was grabbed by the hair and thrown face down onto a cement paving. Um, you know, I saw a couple of things like that and, and that was, yeah, that's quite horrific because once something starts, then a whole heap of them get into it, you know, and you end up with this great big cat fight and it's like, oh, let's just get out of here, you know, and you bolt. Um, it, it's awful. Um, so there are some areas that aren't quite nice. Um, there was one that um, you might get a giggle out of and I don't, I think I might have had that in the journal where everyone was talking about canteen day at Dame Phyllis. And my money had finally come through. It had been approved and I think I only had, you know, $20 or something, and I was dying for a block of chocolate and we went for this walk this morning and I saw this huge lineup, and it was over like, the canteen sort of area and there's this huge lineup, And it, <laughs> I started to head over there. I was so excited. The girl I was with said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going in the lineup for the canteen. I'm craving for chocolate. She said, you're stupid. That's a methadone line. <laughs> I wasn't going to go and light up and pay some methadone. I just had my evil was. I had no idea. I said, there's a line for methadone? Because it's half the prison. God. <laughs> you know, so all of that is an eye-opener, you know. Um, so, whoopsies, okay, I think I can hold off on the chocolate a bit longer. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's an absolute, you know. And, like, um Judy Moran, you know, she's there. And I used to say good day to Judy of a morning because that would happen. You'd go on your walk and you'd be walking around and there'd be Judy in a wheelchair. And I, I remember seeing her coming towards me and I thought, oh, my God, it's Judy Moran. What, what do I do? What do I do? You know? And I thought, <laughs> yeah. well, I'm pretty safe in here. I should be all right from Judy <laughs> So I got a bit closer to her and I actually had to step out of the way because she had the wheelchair and it was a thin area that she was getting through. So I stepped out of the way because I thought, I'm not going to fight her for this. And she was lovely. She was all done up with makeup and, you know, she said, oh, good morning, love. How are you going? Thank you for that. And I said, oh, no worries. How are you, Judy? Yeah, good day. Off we went. So then after that it was always a good morning. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm talking to Judy Moran. <laughs> you know, I don't believe it. <laughs> but she was lovely, so, you know. Oh, that, that's interesting that uh, she was all done up. Uh, because yes. when she was, uh, you know, in the in the news, Judy was all, listen to me, Judy. Like I know a lot. She's you know my best yes. friend. But uh, Judy was always done up. She was always very, or she seemed to be very um, conscious of her well, not, not image. She just wanted wanted to look nice. But that was obviously not a facade. Like she actually was like that because yes. she's like yes. that in prison as well. Yeah. Absolutely. She took a lot of pride in how yeah, she looked pride. her hair was done. And but in yeah. saying that she did have a carer too. A lot of a lot of um inmates, um, because there are jobs going in prison, different jobs that you do, um, you know, some of the, the inmates need care and Judy was one of them. So she did have a carer. I don't know for how many hours a day or for what was required, but it could very well have been that the carer would sort of do her hair and help her with the makeup of the morning whatever but, yeah, no she always looked lovely you know I, I've got my next question here was uh, I'm, I'm sort of trying to be funny but it's actually serious I said so what do you look forward to in jail and I've got like a Sunday roast and a nice glass of red <laughs> well that's not so funny because it sounds like with your uh, the food that you ate or the f- food that you were given I wouldn't doubt for one minute you were probably given a Sunday roast however I don't think you would have been given the red wine. Uh, so No, we weren't given the red wine, no. no. So what did you look forward to uh, in jail? Apart, Look, and I know everyone's going to talk about the visits. Of course you're going to look yeah. forward to yeah. your visits, but yeah. was there anything else that you looked forward to or you found? Ooh. 
yeah, look, visits were great. That would have to be the top of my list um, because I love seeing my friends and family and, of course, my little grandson. Um, I had two visits from family, no, two visits from, yeah, family at Dame Phyllis um, and I hated that, hated that. It was horrific because of the moon suit you had to wear and the cable ties that they put you in um, to hold the suit together. it was horrific and I'll never forget the face on my 11-year-old granddaughter and she came with my daughter to visit oh me God. a week after I was in at Dame Phillips. I, wa- yeah. Yeah, I walked into the um, into the cafe and I saw my daughter and grandson and he ran up to me. He, didn't, he was only four, three and a half or something. He didn't take any notice. But I stood, I stood and looked at my granddaughter and... I'll, to this day, I'll never forget the look on her face. Um, it was oh. horrific. Um, mm. And she didn't know whether to cuddle me or how to cuddle me. It was awful. So I did say to my daughter um, at that visit, I said, please don't come and visit me again while I'm here. Wait until I can get to the farm because it was awful. But, yeah, certainly, look, the, the, the visits um, at uh, Tarangawa, they were great. It was just like having a, uh, you know, a, a big family get together with all the other inmates who had visitors as well. You know, it was yeah. fabulous. Um, so I loved that. But Wednesdays was canteen day. So um, it was also payday. So we got paid and we could spend money at the canteen. So Cadbury Chocolate was my best friend. How much were you paid? Ah. Uh, what was I paid? Gosh, I wish I had a pay slip in front of me to show you um, or to tell you. Um, a pay oh, I wouldn't slip. have got much. A yeah, pay you slip. pay slip. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Um, I think I was getting about, oh, gosh, $30 a week. Okay. Um, but yeah. I, I had one of the top jobs at Tarangower, so I got paid. They're all different levels. Um, people who didn't work or just refused to or whatever, they just got $6 a week. But I think I was up to about 30 32 in the end. Um, so, yes, I sort of jumped the, the pay pretty quickly there. Mm. So um, that was good, yeah. I could buy, you know, my, my chocolate. And it also gave you an opportunity to buy extra groceries um, because you, your limit for groceries there was only $42 a week. And, you know, we ate very well on $42 a week. So tell me, is it like um, a Coles supermarket? I have no idea. When you say the canteen, like do you walk up and down an aisle? And No, 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 no. What we do is we have a um, stock standard list um, yep. with the prices yep. and um, we, we line up to the canteen. Only one can go in at a time. And um, you just go into a little, um, like it's like an office, and you just sort of ask for what you want and the girls behind run around and grab it all and put it in a bag for you and um, it gets deducted straight out of your um, your money that they um, accumulate on the, the computer. So um, we can get certain groceries, not fresh fruit or meats or anything like that. It's always consumables. Um, and you could get your extra tins of tomatoes, you could buy your herbs and spices, that sort of thing, which made a big difference to that $42 a week you were allowed to spend. That happened every week. We had to do that um, as a unit because there'd be six of us in a unit. So um, it would be uh, $42 each and we would – mark off what we wanted, valued to $42 or to $41.90. You couldn't go a cent over. And uh, it would be delivered to your unit the next day. And you said you ate really well and from reading your journal, like Mm. you'd have, like a Sunday roast isn't out of the question, is it? Like you roast veggies, you had all these curries and, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, we did. We, um. It was good when you were in the unit with the six people because, you know, if you got on with the girls okay, you know, you would say to them, okay, who would like to have a unit roast on Sunday? And maybe only three of the girls would be interested. And you'll go, okay, well, I'll buy the roast pork 
for $15. Somebody buy all the veggies to go with and somebody else can you buy whatever to make a dessert. Yeah, no worries. So the three of us would do that or the six of us, however many. So to buy a roast yourself out of your $42, you'd be eating it every night. But this way you could share it. And then somebody else would say, well, look, you know, you you might be sharing in a unit with a a lady who's, well, I had an Indian lady, for example, cooked the most beautiful Indian food from scratch. Um, And she'd say, yeah, look, I'll put on an Indian feast on Thursday night. Let's have a a feast on Thursday. Um, We'd pick out what, what meals we wanted. And then we'd all say, okay, well, I'll get the chicken and the um, butter butter chicken sauce and I'll do this and I'll do that, and we'd combine it. So that made it a lot easier to eat well. kathy has got lots more to tell us. That's all we can fit in for this week. So stay tuned for next week and we'll play the second half of Kathy's podcast. Thank you. It's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.